the free for all roundtable. Round two. Let's meet, I was going to say our contestants, but our uh, our pundits this morning. Music teacher Michelle Morrow is here. Deb Hutton, former advisor to two Ontario premiers. And Jamal Myers is a Toronto City Councillor and the chair of the TTC. Which brings me to Jamal Myers. Uh, Jamal, what was going on on Friday? I certainly had all kinds of sources telling me that um, the board at the TTC was convened. The intention was to get rid of the CEO and somehow that failed. What What happened? Am I wrong? So thanks for having me on. Um, first, we did have a special meeting of the board to receive so, to receive um, uh, the opinion of our external counsel. At no time, and I can say this because I've cleared this with the lawyers, did we ever discuss nor did we contemplate firing the CEO. So all, all those reports were false. I can't discuss what we discussed because again, it was solicitor client, it was subject to solicitor client privilege. However, we did not, nor did we ever contemplate firing the CEO. I think that was very unfair to the CEO. It was unfair to the mayor who had nothing to do with the meeting. And I think it was also very unfair to the employees because it created a lot of confusion. So I just want to clear that up and thank you for giving me that opportunity. Okay. Is it the preference of the board and or this administration though, that the CEO, that a new CEO be found and this one replaced? Uh, no, the CEO is still Rick Leary. Uh, we did not discuss any changes of leadership at the, at the board meeting. Okay, well then I don't know if there's anything left for our other pundits to uh, to discuss. Deb Hutton, if it turns out that there was never a vote to uh, oust the CEO, then it does not appear that there was a failed coup. Uh, that's true. And a bit of a lunch bag letdown for me. I was looking forward to chatting about it. Okay. Although, you know, I have other sources who tell me certain other things may have gone on or been discussed. But, you know, I'll take Jamal. Jamal, I'll take you at your word. And Michelle Morrow, again, I'll count on the idea that I guess maybe there's nothing more to add here. No, except rumor travels fast. <laughs> Always does. Okay, so let's move on to, actually, I wanted to talk about Buffy St. Marie. We didn't get to this on round one, but I actually watched the documentary on the weekend, and it's it's devastating because they make a pretty open and shut case that she is not Indigenous. This is not even about a misunderstanding. She was biologically born to Italian-American parents in New England, and on many occasions, some people who knew her tried to blow the whistle on it, and yet in the pre-internet days, I guess she was never going to be found out. Um, Deb Hutton, we talked with Pamela Palmiter, who is Indigenous and a lawyer, professor, and activist, and she talked about this as a stolen identity, or in her words, being recolonized effectively. Yeah, this is um, this is a, a bit of a crazy sort of scenario, John. You and I talked about it on Friday. I talked about it when I was hosting for Jerry Agar later in the day. And we even discussed, you know, is this a black mark on CBC having gone against a woman who has been an icon uh, for Indigenous folks uh, and is in her 80s? But wow. I mean, the part that, that I can't get my head around, John, is why? Like, why did she do this? at a time when it was very difficult in particular to be indigenous like i just I, that's the part i cannot get my head around quite frankly yeah michelle i had that same impression i mean if why would you join an oppressed group of people in order to share their oppression except for her it really worked out nicely and now as i watch vintage footage of her if it's true that she's not indigenous then it's she's been acting for 65 years yeah is it a case of where you've been saying this lie for so long that it just eventually becomes a truth for you. Um, 
but I only know like the tail end of Buffy St. Marie. So for me, my thought is perhaps she decided to claim that she was indigenous because it made her different. It made her stand out. It made people talk about her good or bad. And then that train just started rolling and she became more and more famous. Uh, it's it's really hard to watch because I know her same thing as Deb said like she was she was such an icon for uh, indigenous communities and then to see this now it, it's really scary how people just adopt um, these cultures and then claim them as their own. Jamal Myers, any thoughts? Uh, not really many thoughts. I mean, I I think of the whole thing. I've just been really sad to read about it. Um, I don't really understand. I don't know, you know, she says that she was adopted into an indigenous nation. So I don't know where that fits in with the story. I'm not as familiar with Buffy St. Marie and I didn't watch the CBC, um, the Fifth Estate um, show. I just sort of have been reading about it online, but it seems to have divided the indigenous community just in terms of who can claim indigenous heritage and who can't. Yeah, and I guess, you know, Deb Hutton and I aren't exactly living antiques, but you've got to be of a certain age to realize the cultural impact of Buffy St. Marie. And so to find out that maybe she made it all up, the fact that I've actually sat in a room with her and done interviews with her. Um, I just, I, it kind of baffles me, to be perfectly honest. Um, is it time for neck guards? Actually, Michelle, I'll start with you on this one. Uh, what a horrible, horrible accident that happened on the ice in England where a former NHL player uh, was cut by a skate and died. Uh, I'm told by at least one texter that junior hockey players currently do wear neck guards. I'm just wondering how widespread that is and if it's just another layer of protection we need to be thinking about for everybody. Yeah, what a scary and freak and random uh, accident to have to this player. It's awful. Um, I was talking to my husband because he grew up playing uh, junior hockey around, not like high level, just like recreational around here. And he said it it was having a net guard was one of the restrictions put in place. So he grew up playing with one. Um, I don't know if it's necessary in the NHL because it is so, the chance of it happening is so minute, but perhaps it would be, it's a case of if a, if a player chose to wear one, they weren't ridiculed for it. I feel like sometimes when people take extra precautions because they feel more comfortable or they feel something they need to, excuse me, they need to do for themselves, then a lot of um, sports commentators will will um, denigrate them by saying that you know, oh, they're weak or they're so nervous that they, we need this extra equipment. I remember when hockey players didn't even wear helmets. Yeah, it's like if people want to wear it, then let them wear it if it makes them feel safer. Yeah, Jamal Myers. To come back to my age, I've been around long enough that over the time of the when I did play hockey and since then in the pros and in juniors, we've just kept adding equipment. I remember when face cages came about while I was still playing hockey as a kid and everyone complained about them. They'd say, I won't be able to see. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a very sad story. Um, and, you know, hockey is a pretty, it can be a violent game. Um, and, you know, this didn't have anything to do with that. But so definitely, if this is something about increasing the safety of the players, I'm all for it. And Deb Hutton, I don't know if your girls play anything that requires protection. Well, the youngest plays hockey. And in all of the money that I have spent for equipment, the neck guard was not that expensive comparatively. So she wears one, she will wear one. And, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to buy the full gear, you're going to buy the helmet that you have to, you're going to buy the skates. Like what does it cost you to buy a neck guard, honestly? And whether it's a freak accident or not, I'm all for covering every little bit of them I can. Probably somebody listening right now can remember who the last player to not wear a helmet in the NHL was. I certainly remember growing up with Guy Lafleur, and his hair would be flapping behind him on a on a breakaway. But then again, he also smoked 
during the game. Okay, so let's keep going here. And uh, we have a Quebec resident who's facing $3,000 in fines for having criticized politicians. Uh, Jamal Myers, you are uh, a municipal politician, so I'll go to you first on this one. It was pretty vicious stuff that he was saying, but still, I'm a little wary about assessing fines against people for what they say on Facebook. I, I mean, I see I see both sides of it. I mean, people have a right to say what they want to say and they have a right to be jerks. But, you know, as a you know relatively young politician who's only been in it for about a year, I can say it's quite demoralizing dealing with uh, the type of comments that you have to deal with, um, particularly when you are a diverse politician or even civil servant. And truthfully, a lot of people just say, I don't need this. Um, I can do something else. I can still make a difference in my community. Um, so I think you have to find that right balance between allowing people their rights to you know, free expression versus remembering. These are people on the other ends of these insults or these comments. They have families. They have professional reputations. Uh, they have feelings. Um, they have mental health to think about as well. So I think we need to find that balance. I don't know if this bylaw does that properly, but you know, from what I've seen about what this person was saying, it was way over the top. Deb Hutton, I'd imagine that uh, both in your work as uh, in politics and uh, both and, and here at News Talk 1010, you've been on the receiving end of some pretty vile stuff. Yeah, I have. And, and you know, I almost never, ever read now X. Uh, for that reason, it's just not worth it. And whenever I do, I say to myself, don't do it again, because it's just not worth it. That being said, I don't like this as a municipal fine whatsoever. I think the answer to some of this stuff is that we get more diligent about laying charges for hate speech, because some of this stuff does actually, I think, amount to some form of defamation suit that you could lay against this person. So uh, use the existing tools we have. I think they protect free speech and yet uh, also protect individuals from things that go too far. But the notion of municipal politicians getting into fines, I just don't like. And Michelle Morrow, I guess the benefit of your line of work is you're not going to get heckled by your students. Uh, no, <laughs> I have gotten into some discussions with parents, but not nothing, nothing, nothing close to this. I'm with Deb on this. I, I, I don't think this sort of fine should be levied. People, as Jamal said, people are absolute jerks and there's some nasty people out there. But until it borders on hate speech or um, death threats, then I feel as though we should leave the laws alone and, and only use the federal laws we have in place. Because when it comes down to someone saying, well, I don't like that they said this, unless we have a firm law in place, like the federal laws we have for anti-hate speech, then it comes down to how the person feels and free speech should trump a lot of other rights, I believe. Lawyer for the man who has been assessed these fines will join us at 9.35 this morning. So that'll definitely inform the discussion. And uh, lastly, Deb Hutton, are you buying the idea that somebody actually offered to rent out a shared queen-sized bed in Toronto for $900 a month? Yeah, I think they probably did, and it was probably to garner the kind of attention that we're giving them. Uh, if it is serious, then just buy two twin beds. You're going to have $900 a month in income. So put up a screen, share a bedroom, but for God's sake, sharing a bed with a stranger? Eh. Yeah, I, it just, uh, just the coming, the going, the uh, anyway, it's a woman who was renting it out and she was looking for a female roomie. The ad is gone. We don't know if she got it. Jamal Myers, it's just one more piece of evidence that this city is too expensive to live in. 
Yeah, it's too expensive to live in, and unfortunately, a lot of people are desperate. The fact that we would even take that type of ad seriously, that, you know, some people actually have to do contemplate, you know, is this something that I, is this something that I should do? It just really underscores the crisis that we're in and that the need that we got to build affordable housing for people. Michelle Morrow, maybe she should have gone for bunk beds. Yeah. And also, I think it, it, it's a comment perhaps on the housing crisis, but it's also a comment on someone who's like, I can make a quick buck. Someone's going to pay me to share my bed. Then I'm going to make some money off that. I think it's a, perhaps capitalism at its best and its worst. Thank you all. Good to have you this morning. Michelle Morrow and Deb Hutton and Jamal Myers. Catch the roundtable. Round one at 745. Round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.